Cleveland City Council snuck through their Shaker Square bailout using a lot more taxpayer money to bail out that place that's been bailed out multiple times before, all with failures. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer, and we'll be talking about the Shaker Square bailout today. I'm Chris Quinn here with Lisa Garvin and Laura Johnston. It's the Wednesday edition of the podcast. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. Let's go. When Cuyahoga County Executive Armand Budish made the controversial decision to nominate labor leader Dave Wondolowski to the port board, he told the county council in a letter Wondolowski had no conflicts. Turns out that was not true. Why, Laura? This story just keeps getting more interesting. But a city ordinance says you cannot serve on another board while you're on the port board. And this dates back, I believe, to the 60s. But nobody was really aware of it. And Wondolowski had apparently been breaking this rule for years. He's been on the Cuyahoga County Board of Elections since 2016. He says he'll resign from the board that board if he's appointed to the port board, which already is a controversial decision because we've talked about this a lot in the podcast. But... Um, Justin Bibb, the mayor of Cleveland, decided not to renew his his membership on that board. Well, th- this is just another controversy surrounding this mm-hmm. appointment, right? So, you know, Justin Bibb didn't reappoint him because Wondolowski was involved in what what many believe was a racist postcard that, that tried to stop Bibb's election and said horrendous things. So, so he's off. Armand Budish was supporting Kevin Kelly, the Bibb opponent. And now with he's sticking his finger in the eye, Justin Bibb, by appointing Wondolowski back to the port board. And we find this out. I don't understand right. how the county council is moving forward with this. It just doesn't make sense that they would have this battle with the city. Now we know that he was breaking the rules. It's not just the city ordinance. There's a contract between the city and county affirming that right. city ordinance. So the county is part of that deal. The county knows. And and why? You said it the other day. With all the thousands of people out there, you can't find somebody who's not controversial with red flags. Uh, the groups have come out of the woodwork to say, don't do yeah. this. One, More even like- use the line that you heard here on the podcast earlier this week. <laughs> Council is behind, between a rock and a marshmallow. There's an easy way forward. I'm just surprised that Pernell Jones and the rest of Council are actually going to move forward with this. Well, Let's just put it in perspective. The fact that this came out in a council meeting when he's been doing this for six years, I'm going to give somebody credit. I don't know who to no, give no, no, credit to. No, 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 no. This came out. Caitlin reported was on this. This wasn't just in a council meeting. But they're Kate, right. No, I, I, I realize that. But somebody asked for the opinion. Right. They got then they have two legal who, opinions saying. Right. Two legal opinions that say, yes, he should not be serving on both boards. But l- he obviously was doing that for you know six years. And, and we don't know if there's going to be any repercussions for that. Wondolowski wouldn't comment on it. But so it'd been going on for years. So the fact is, at least we know something now that we didn't know then. And they are going to put it through committee. I, I I think they should have just like said, this is not going to happen. Even if they didn't need to take a vote, be like, we're not going to pass this. This is too many red flags here. Council, I, I do want to get, I, I do hope that they will be really stringent on this and just say, no, 
they are putting it through a committee. I mean, Buttigieg wanted to fast track this, which is ridiculous. Well, I had heard they actually were going to say no, but then the politicking went on. Lots of phone calls were made, and they're falling. Well, they're saying they're getting calls on both sides. Yeah, but you're right. But there's like two dozen groups that said, do not appoint look, him. Who, who do you think is calling in the pro-Wandalaski side? It's not people who are doing it in the sunshine. The people that are opposed to it are putting their names out there. But it sounds like this council... True. It's it's just a mess. We should change the charter, reduce the number of council members, do something because they don't do their job. Meanwhile, they're giving themselves each six million dollars in slush funds to squander at will. It's just a it's just such a lost opportunity with this government reform. The council has just done a terrible job. Well, I mean, let's give credit where credit's due. The Buddhist decision to reappoint Wondolowski is is the root cause of this problem. Yeah, but the council should stand up and call that out and say, we're not going to stick the finger in the eye of Justin Bibb. We want to work with the yes, new mayor. I 100% agree Wanda with is a controversial figure. He stood up on a stage and said he was going to kick the S out of Justin Bibb. Is that really who you want to be your representative on the Port Authority? The other thing is, this is a whole labor thing, like labor is important. Mm-hmm. Labor's not turning out any votes, so I'm not even sure why they still have this kind of power. I should also look up how much the port board's getting paid because he said it's 25000 per year less than the Board of Elections. But, I mean, that's a lot of money that we're spending for these people to serve on these boards, Yeah, too. I know. It's a public service thing. I'm surprised they're getting paid at all. You're listening exactly. to Today in Ohio. We haven't talked about this one since last year because nothing was happening. But Cleveland City Council just rushed it through. How much, Lisa, will taxpayers give up to once again bail out the failure that is Shaker Square? It was a unanimous 16-0 vote to spend $12 million to avoid foreclosure of the Shaker Square property. Uh, Mayor Bibbs still needs to approve this, and also the bondholders that are waiting repayment of the mortgage, they have to approve this as well. The money is coming from the general fund this time. When they talked about this previously last year, they were going to use ARPA funds. But uh, the Interim Economic Development Director for Cleveland, David Ebersole, says using the general fund would be, quote, easier. Um, So $6 million of that is a low interest loan, $6 million in forgivable loans. The city would get about a $1.5 million back after the loans are repaid. And just to kind of refresh everyone's memory, there's a group of nonprofits, Burton Bell Carr uh, Community Development Corporation and the New Village Corporation. They want to buy this property pay off the more with this 12 million dollars i want to pay off the mortgage and then they'll spend a few years about three to five years overseeing renovations and repairs and to the property before selling it to another developer yeah right it, 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 because they have to subsidize it because no developer in his right mind is going to do it they're still paying off the debt for the project that, that bailed it out in 20 whatever it was 2002 uh, yeah, it was, Right, right. And uh, yeah, it's currently owned by the Coral Company, and their CEO, Peter Rubin, said that he got interest from a lot of buyers, but he really wanted the the city, (laughs) they're the CDC group to buy it. I don't know. Yeah, right. I believe that. You know what's sad is Brandon Krastowski wanted to take it on. And Brandon Krastowski, more than anybody in Cleveland, has demonstrated that he knows what he's doing. You know, he created a restaurant that, that... trains people coming out of prison in the restaurant industry it's wildly successful he's he's expanded his model and includes a butcher shop and all sorts of other things 
and and he's in Shaker Square. His restaurant's in Shaker Square, and he's saying, "Hey, let me do this. I'll I'll take it on. Why wouldn't you give it to the one guy who's really having success in that corner of the city?" But they brushed him off. They just didn't want to deal with yeah. him, and instead, we're flushing twelve million dollars. You know, somewhere in the innards of this podcast platform, we have sound effects. I should get the toilet sound. It's got to be in there somewhere, <laughs> and just hit it when we talk about the way they squander money in this city in this county. Well, and and but Brandon Kurstowski and who knows, but Brandon Kurstowski offered $5 million for the property. He figured, and I think he even said that that's what it was on the books for, but there was a February 2020 appraisal of the property that said that it was worth $14 million. Yeah, because so. of course they got the appraisal that says that because they're trying to get $12 million from the city. My bet is if it went to what? foreclosure, it wouldn't get anywhere near $14 million. And Brandon's probably right. Who do you trust here in terms of business acumen? The people on city council who are clueless or Brendan Krastowski, who has had one success after another. And let's be clear. A property is worth what someone will pay for it. And I don't see people lining up Well, here. now we have some suckers that are willing to pay $12 million for it. So, yeah, called the taxpayer. Yeah, so yeah, we'll see how that goes. Anyway, it was kind of sleazy how this got rushed in. Very little discussion. Rubber stamped. Done. $12 million down the drain. And, you know, Cleveland has money now because of the ARPA, but Cleveland's about to pay a whole lot of people millions and millions of dollars in income taxes. What are they thinking squandering $12 million when they have no idea how many millions they've got to pay back to all those people who weren't working in the city? Seems grossly irresponsible at this point to be spending money this way. Yeah, but you also wonder what would happen if it went in a foreclosure sale. And I'm speaking from bias because I lived in Shaker. I grew up in Shaker. I took the Shaker Rapid. I went to movies at Shaker Square. We ate at Shaker Square all throughout my childhood. So I do have a bias there. But I would really hate to see that shopping center become more apartments because that area is already full of apartments and condos. But, But Lisa, this delays the inevitable. I mean, ultimately, the market will decide what's valuable there. This is a half step, a $12 million half step, to put it into the hands of nonprofits that have no plan, no ideas, and eventually they'll either be saddled with with expenses trying to keep the place up or dump it. And that's why when you have a a proven business guy like Brandon Krastowski saying, hey, I can do this, why not? I mean, it, it's it's the best idea we've seen. And instead, they just brushed him off. It's uh, it's Yeah, I, I, and I was sorry to see that because he really would have, I think he would have made a great transformation of that area. I mean, he's creative. Like, I mean, he, he not only is he creative, but he follows through and he's successful. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. successful over and over again. Every time he comes right. up with an idea, you say, wow, that's an interesting idea. And then he blows the doors off everybody. It would have just been so smart to give him the chance. You're listening to Today in Ohio. When is the last time inflation was as high as it was in March? Laura, this is a national story. It's a state story. It's a Northeast Ohio story. I mean, it's an every person who's paying for anything kind of story. But it was 1981 when it was this high before. Nationally, the consumer price index rose 1.2% in March, and that's 8.5% uh, year over year, March 2021 to March 2022. And I would have thought, oh, in the Midwest, we're a little protected here. It's an, a less expensive way of life, but we're actually higher than national. Prices are up 8.6 year over year. 
1.3% in March. And this is up even obviously since February when it was 7.8% year over year. And obviously energy is playing a, f- a huge role in this. This is the first month we're looking at a full picture of what Russia's invasion into Ukraine is doing to gasoline and other prices. Gas prices rose 18% in one month time. Airline fares up 10.7% in March after rising 5.2% in February. So you got a couple of really big uh, sectors driving this. I, the 8.5% is a jaw dropper. And I'm old enough mm-hmm. to remember when it was that high. When I was first starting my my working life, people, I wasn't buying houses, but people who were were paying like 18, 19% on mortgages. I mean, that was the going mm-hmm. rate. When it dropped to 10, six or seven years later, people were like, wow, it's 10%. This is great. <laughs> and we, we, you know, I remember the buttons, the win buttons that came out, whip inflation now in the Carter years, because mm-hmm. it was so bad. And we, you know, Laura, you've lived your entire life outside of that era. And to have that kind of inflation for people that don't remember that, Lisa, you remember it. It is oh, yeah. punishing when you every time you go to the store, the prices are jumping up that high and it's going to make it harder and harder for people to eat. Well, uh, yes. And we've had stories about what the, the food bank is facing with not only higher prices of food to buy, um, and higher prices of gasoline to transport it, but, you know, a greater need. And I think we're going to continue to see that. And this, even though you can say, hey, the economy's going well, this is an issue that people are frightened by. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you drive past a gas station every day, you're always looking at the price of mm-hmm. gas. What is it? Even if you don't need gas that day, right? Like, it's just something you're very aware of and you're constantly monitoring. <laughs> Which is bizarre because as a percentage of your budget, gas right. accounts for almost nothing. Everything else counts for but I don't you don't see it splayed in your face on the highway, you know, like here's what the price of milk is today or here's what the price of, you know, used cars are today. And, you know, used cars were up 35 percent year over year, which is yeah. jaw dropping when you think about it. But the good news is that the experts are saying if you take out those really big sectors where actually the pace of the inflation has slowed down and they expect it to fall to 4.3 percent year over year by December. But my biggest concern here is affordability housing affordability was not great mm-hmm. before the pandemic the pandemic made it worse and now inflation is made I, I, i'm worried about people being able to buy homes that's that's the big thing for me buy homes and we're seeing rent too like yes. i've gotten a couple of news releases from people saying how much rent has gone up because mm-hmm. that, obviously it makes sense property values increase they're going to charge more for well, rent. housing will be i think a focus of the mm-hmm. campaign for county executive one of the candidates lee weingard has already put a plan out there of ten thousand affordable homes and he actually has figured out a way to pay for it that's going to push the other candidates to come up with ideas for affordable housing so maybe there'll be a solution there hey you know what you could use to to, to spend on affordable housing <laughs> slush funds stimulus money <laughs> yeah well and the stimulus money is in part to blame for the inflation when so much money is injected right. into the economy it causes that there were a lot of people back then that said hey we're gonna have inflation ukraine just and you remember all the child tax credits that people were getting and they were getting cash every month mm-hmm. now people have to you know now people are paying their taxes yeah. mm-hmm. uh monday due date let's let's hope you're listening to today in ohio <laughs> are we worried about the future of pierre's ice cream now that the 90 year old cleveland-based company has bought by 
been bought by a lesser-known Columbus Dairy Company. Lisa, this Columbus Company makes, like, no brands. So is that what they're going to turn Pierre's into? No worries, Pierre fans. It's still going to be on your grocery shelf and your grocery freezer. The 90-year-old Cleveland Company, which was established here in 1932, sold to Ohio-based Ohio Processors Incorporated, which is in London, Ohio. This sale will close in the second quarter, but the terms were not disclosed. But nothing changes. Pierre's factory at East 65th in Euclid will remain opening, open and producing ice cream. The 80 employees will be asked to stay on after the sale, and there's no plan to move the corporate offices out of Cleveland. Uh, Pierre's president, Shelley Roth, she's a second generation owner of the company, says it's a good succession plan that kept workers employed and will ensure that the Pierre's brand continues. No changes in the product line. You do wonder, though, if it's owned by people that don't have ties to Cleveland, will they have the same commitment to Cleveland that Pierre's always has? It's whenever you lose that local control you wonder what the future is. Does two years down the road, does the headquarters move to Columbus? You just, it, it's a risk. And I think there are people that are anxious about it because people take, right? I mean, we've done those taste tests that are wildly popular. Yeah. You know what we should look at? We should look at ice cream during the pandemic and look at the sales <laughs> of ice cream. Cause I bet you we've looked at alcohol sales, but there, I mean, I try to limit myself to weekends and I can't just do it. Like it is what is getting me. Really? You eat a lot, lot of ice cream. Man, I, I eat a lot of ice yeah, cream. Yeah, no, I, so, I, I have a love-hate relationship with ice cream. Yeah. Like I bet you that ice cream is something that is good to invest in right now. That's that's where all the other See, stuff is. My rule is I only have ice cream if I'm in Italy. It's a great way of avoiding <laughs> it altogether. Oh, Oh, yes, and, of course. And like you said, Chris, Ohio Processors isn't doesn't have any bread. They're a wholesale company. They make soft serve, whipped cream, coffee creamers for the wholesale trade, and they do employ 28 people there in London. But, but you're right. And so to me, Pierre's would be their brand that they face, you know, the public with. I don't know. We'll see. And people, I do think, know the brand and trust mm-hmm. it. And, you know, people like local local locally made food obviously that's a big thing we'll have to see it'll take a few years for that to shake out you're listening to today in ohio did the black activists from youngstown who were challenging ohio's congressional elections persuade judges to support them laura we talked about this yesterday we said we would provide an update today it's a quick and easy one to get through Oh, really? You think this is easy explaining this case? Because I'm going to hand it back to you. But <laughs> the case is not over yet. The panel of three federal judges denied this long shot request to order elections officials not to recognize the congressional candidates who win the state's May primary election. They said they're still receptive to hear arguments behind this racial gerrymandering case brought by a group of black activists in Youngstown. But they said they should have stayed with their original challenge in a separate federal case. And I mean, this is a federal case about um, congressional seats that also is about legislative seats. And so I understand why this is just swirling and um, I find it confusing and I'm following it. Well, but the short answer is they're not going to stop this election, that they'll hear future arguments. No, no, no. Right. the, The problem with this was people are voting now. And although not many, we'll talk tomorrow about how few have voted early because there's I think they're so confused and worried about the legitimacy of the Mm -hmm. ballots. And so the judges basically said, no, let's go forward. We got this. I mean, the legislative aren't on the ballot, but the congressional are. It seems like the 2022 elections will be based on the 
state of the maps as they are today, and then we'll debate 2024. Well, well, just to be clear, they weren't asking to stop the election. They were just asking to hold off certification of the winners until the case made it through court or, you know, the Supreme Court made a decision. Right. But which, okay, but one of the ramifications of that is, is if the Supreme Court ultimately decides in August these districts are no good, they would say you can't do this. And I, I, the read mm-hmm. that everybody's getting from the Supreme Court is we're now talking about 2024. The people suing largely have said we're now taking the battle to 2024. So mm-hmm. you're listening to Today in Ohio. How is Cleveland City Council making it easier for people to attend its meetings? Lisa, this seems like such a no-brainer, but for decades it hasn't been the rule. What are they doing? They're making parking free for city council meeting days. Um, and that starts uh, next Monday for the Monday meeting on April 18th. You have to park on the top deck behind city hall and you can start parking there at five o'clock. The meeting starts uh, at seven, but you have to exit the garage within one hour of the meeting's end. So you can't just pull in and go to an Indians game or whatever. The typical fee for parking there is usually about three fifty to $11. So this is a, this is kind of a big deal and it, it, it increases access access to city council meetings since now city council is allowing public comment they are expecting more people to come to meetings in person and when they announced it at the meeting on monday it was greeted with applause so everybody's excited you said indians game just oh i'm sorry guardians (laughs) you know how many times we've all done that that's going to be a problem i think for a good five years the the one thing they're not doing is it doesn't appear is making parking free for people who come to their committee meetings The way the council works is they get most of Mm. their work done in daytime committee meetings. They have a whole slew of committees where people can appear and there's lots of talk and back and forth. At the regular meeting, they they don't really discuss anything. They basically run through the roster of legislation in a droning voice and people vote on it. The only thing that is valuable to people who want to be there now is that they get to speak. But it would be nice if anybody appearing before a council committee got to park free, uh, it's just odd that they charge them as much as they do. And it's like you said, it's not a cheap garage, but good for them. It's a good step forward. Blaine Griffin seems like he championed this, the new city council president. It's today in Ohio. How is Ohio secretary of state Frank LaRose trying to force gerrymandered legislative districts down the throats of the voters? Laura, this guy is shameless. Well, most of the Ohio redistricting commission is shameless, but he said that even though the Ohio Supreme Court rejected the latest attempt, their fourth map that the Republicans shoved through at the 11th hour, they believe he believes they should use it anyway for this year's elections. And he wants this federal court to move the state's legislative primary because it's not on the May ballot to August 2nd using that latest map. He said they should reset it because lawmakers haven't yet figured out um, they haven't yet moved to push back the May 3rd elections. And even though we don't have a, an official map, he says right. this is but what we should do. the Supreme use. Court has this case. They're going to issue a decision yes. soon, I suspect, on whether to hold LaRose and DeWine and the rest of them in contempt for refusing to do what they were supposed to do, which is draw legitimate maps. So this is just a sleazy attempt, again, to force the bad maps into existence Shame on him. He's the secretary of state. He's supposed to be the champion of the voter. And he's taken a step to to force in bad maps. It's just wrong. And uh, hopefully he'll get 
slammed. It's today. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I. I was just going to say, I, I completely agree. The other Republican um, activist on this suit also want the, the same maps used and also want to use August 2nd. But you're right. Basically, they're just they, they push this down the road. They, they they broke. Remember last fall when we had big stories that said, look, they broke the constitutionally required deadline. And they're like, OK, we'll get it done. But by pushing this every step of the way, by being late over and over again and not doing the work in the public eye and just pushing through things at the last minute. They have prolonged this process until they say, oh, look, it's not our fault. It's just the Supreme Court hasn't made a decision and it's too late. So it's too confusing for voters. And we should just use the bad maps and set a date because that's the best we can do. But they're the ones that put us in this situation you know, over and over and over again. Just this guy in the primary. I know. Well, because just... who's running against him? <laughs> it's the choice the Republican voters have. It's today in Ohio. We have a new gardening columnist named Susan Brownstein, and this week she took on that ever-popular challenge of stopping deer from eating our plants. It quickly became the number one story on our site on Tuesday afternoon. Lisa, (laughs) this is near and dear to your heart. What does she say we should do to protect young trees and shrubs? Susan listed four different... uh, techniques to keep the deer off your little shrubs and tender trees. And let me tell you, I I had a landscape installation last year and I spent the winter worrying about my forsythias, you know, and the deer did eat one of them, even though forsythias are supposed to be deer resistant. But anyway, uh, the best one that she said, and she gave it an A minus, she said the best way is to use metal T-posts and use either metal or plastic rolled fencing. It is expensive and it can be hard to install. You do need to have a gate or some sort of access point if you do this but I will tell you I have a neighbor down the street has a gorgeous garden and they've done that they have the metal t-post they have the black like it's like open not chicken wire but more open and it's about six feet high and nothing gets into their garden she said you know Brownstein says deer do not like jumping into small enclosed spaces so uh, the next one, she also gave a B plus to this one, just use deer netting. It's something you can buy at a hardware store or a nursery. You can drape it over your bushes and then secure it with zip ties to a six foot wood garden stake. Um, she said she tried holding it down with bricks and rocks, but the deer just moved that aside and got under it. So you have to like zip tie it to a stake. Another B plus idea hardware cloth and snowplow stakes those skinny little orange or blue stakes that you use to mark your driveway and there was a photo on that and so you stick a stake in the ground and you wrap like a cylinder of like chicken wire or um, you know some sort of metal fencing and make a cylinder and then stake it to the to the uh, the uh, snowplow stake she did have one that she gave a C grade to, and this would be using tomato cages. She used tomato cages on her red osier dogwood, which, by the way, the deer just ate to the ground in my yard. She said the deer can still access through a tomato cage if they're very determined, but um, she only gave it a C. She tried to use it on her pawpaw trees, but the trees got broken in half above where that was, so that's why she gave it a lower grade. So four yeah, ideas Yeah, if you used hardware cloth or chicken wire, you should wear gloves and long sleeves because that stuff can scratch you up badly. Um, then the netting, have you ever used that? I've used that last year on our tomato plants and it worked. No deer got to the tomatoes at all or to the plants, but it is a god awful mess. You know, it's just very fine and yeah. it's it, it gets all wrapped up. I wasn't crazy about it. The best, you know, the hardware cloth kind of 
thing works well, but it's um, it's a it's a bit of work. Yes. Yeah. And I might try that because she says it's easy to move and put back. And yeah, all you'd have to do is pull up the stake and cylinder, do your weeding, and then stick it back down in the ground. So I might have to okay. try that. I've had good luck just with four foot chicken wire around our garden and then planting marigolds, which they don't like. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's the key is the small spaces, right? They don't. I hope Susan comes back and right. addresses things like the flowers and others because I think a lot of people would be interested in her success or failure with that yeah she 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 says those poor hostas like even Mm. if she protects these trees they just eat her hostas i feel for you yeah i use like a two-step and sometimes you know deer it's funny they will be repelled by a certain repellent and then they won't be so i use deer scram which is like dried blood it's a granular and then i use liquid fence so i kind of alternate and that seems to just let them eat what they want and what i've noticed with hostas is they don't eat them all (laughs) they only eat a few leaves because they want to keep coming back they're they're good farmers <laughs> there were four in my backyard the they other wanted to day. watch it's the construction like, wow. i'm sure it's a lot of deer <laughs> <laughs> it's today in ohio let's do a quick one cleveland is the first market where lyft is making it easier for people to rent scooters how does that work laura So you can use your Lyft app to rent a scooter through Spin. You don't have to create a separate account. And Lyft and Spin began this partnership with this integrated functionality on Tuesday in Cleveland, Akron, and Detroit. They rolled it out for the first time in Nashville last month. And uh, they're going to roll it out in a whole bunch of other cities just actually today. Phoenix and Tempe, Arizona today. And then Pittsburgh, Salt Lake, Providence, Rhode Island, Raleigh, Durham, Charlotte, Fort Collins, and Ann Arbor. So I feel pretty pretty cool yeah, that we're it, in that and, list of and cities. I, to be right up front says something about their belief in our market so you're seeing them all over town you're seeing the bikes you're seeing the scooters it's a cool thing it took a while for cleveland to get the hang of it but it seems like it's remember though you're not and supposed you to ride helmet, on the sidewalk as we have <laughs> reported it's they today in ohio and that wraps up another podcast episode thank you laura thank you lisa thanks to everybody who listens we'll be back tomorrow 